How are you guys? <laughs> it's, it's like so eerily quiet. Can you say hello? <laughs> Make me feel better. I don't know. Um, yeah, I've, I've got some stomach issues going on, so just be praying for me. I will say that it was pretty bad this morning when I woke up, and uh, I noticed that it started getting ah, better as soon as uh, the, um, the uh, shoot, something's not working here. There we go. Um, as soon as the prayer team started praying for me, my stomach just started feeling better. So I'm not feeling a th- a 100%, but I am feeling a lot better than I was, and I think that's really attributed to them praying for me. Um, so let me, uh, let me pray before we get started. Father, we thank you this morning that you are here in your presence, that you are moving in our church. Think about the lyrics to that song, you won't relent until you have it all. That's exactly what we're talking about this morning. We ask that uh, if we need to be convicted in our hearts, in our attitudes, that you would convict us this morning, that you would bring us close, that you would draw us in, that you would teach us something this morning. We pray for protection over this church, Father God, in a way that uh, only you can provide that there would be a spiritual protection over this room right now going through the end of this service, Father, in a way that uh, we can hear you clearly, we can see you clearly, that there's nothing standing in our way. We love you so much. We just want to get to know you better and to serve you fully. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, last Sunday of the series... Still going to ask, is there anybody brave enough to come up and recite the verses? Anyone? <laughs> There's that eerie quietness again. I, you, I've got a coffee cl- La Colombe coffee card for you if you come on up. I know that there, I have talked to you guys all week, and I know there are people that just know these verses and will not come up, but I will let you get away with it. I'm staring at someone. Um, but we've been uh, memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, right? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will know what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then we have Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And remember, most people... Memorize 8 and 9, but not 10, right? For it is by grace you have been saved uh, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, uh, not by work, so that no one can boast. Um, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ. I always have to go back to verse 10. I, I'm always not that confident that I know it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One, two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just wanted to give you guys a last last chance. We're going to be doing sort of memorization, hopefully, for the next, for for quite a long time in the future. And uh, so be, be prepared to, to do that well. Um, I remember seeing my wife, Kim, for the first time at church. We were uh, young. I was like, you know, early 20s, and I saw her in a hallway at church 28 years ago, and uh, the first thought in my mind was, I got to 
get very close to that. Like that's, that's the thing that I'm getting. So phone calls were made and uh, friends were consulted, both mine and hers. Awkward moments were endured and, and money was spent. Very much money was spent, and on New Year's Day, 1991, I, uh, a kiss was procured, right? I was so, that was it. I had done it. Uh, within a month, I said, I'm going to marry you, and she said, you're not allowed to ask me for a whole year, and I asked her a year later, and then we were married within six months. Amen. I'm a decisive guy, right? Um, but not a small amount of effort went into obtaining the object of my desire, right? I, I, I went all out in that whole pursuit. Now, last week, we talked about putting effort into our spiritual formation, you know, uh, what we do to get close to Christ, to, to become more like Christ, you know, the effort that we put into it. And in thinking about the word effort, naturally, you think about the word desire, Right? That effort towards, you make effort towards the object of your desire, and desire is vital in that whole thing, right? And, and it, it, it ignites your effort. It's the fuel to your effort. And I said last week that I can't do much for you in that, that vein uh, other than urge you to pray f- that God would uncover your desire because I guarantee you it is deep down in you if you don't feel it. You don't actually even need to feel it, right? But your desire is there because God has instilled it in all of us. So pray and ask that he would un- unmask that for you. That He would. I always think of it, I, I use my imagination when I'm thinking of my desires. Like it's underneath the ground and it's dirt and leaf covered and God is just wiping all that away so I can get to my desire. And so the question is, um, you know, if Jesus is the magnet, right, are you wood or metal, right? Are you wood or metal? Um, and that, that sort of that, that uh, unseen force that draws us is our desire, and the movement of the metal towards the magnet is our effort, right? I always think, I like to think of the church as metal filings, right? Like if I had a pile of metal filings, and I have a magnet up here, you know, and you were hovering the magnet over top of of that, they would all kind of together move up towards Jesus. I like that, that image. Um, so the question for us before us this morning is, is if Jesus is the magnet, are you wood or metal, right? Are, are you drawn to him? Um, do, do his words inspire you? You know, do you, do you endeavor to know him more deeply? Do you pursue him? Would you do anything to be around him and be more like him? Do you listen intently to him? You know, it's good to have our breath taken away or, you know, you might say slap back to reality or to have our eyes opened or to be shocked awake sometimes because sometimes we are not listening well. We often don't listen well. I recently watched, and I know I shouldn't, but I watched Dave Chappelle's controversial stand-up routine online, Sticks and Stones, because I wanted to hear what all the hubbub was about and understand what's going on. Um, But he did an impression, uh, and I I know Dave Dave Chappelle can be rude, and I I get that. I'm a a big boy, and I I understand the language. Some people might get mad at me for that. Uh, But uh, he did an impression during that in the very beginning where he, he asked the audience to guess who it was as he did the impression. And uh, without all the colorful language that you know Dave Chappelle brings to the stage, 
It sounded something like this, and I feel very stupid doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. He says, uh, duh, right? He says, uh, duh, if you make one mistake, if you screw up at all, and I, and I found out, and uh, uh, duh, I'm, I'm going to destroy your life. And, if, and even if it's something you did like years ago, and it was small, and you don't really, you regret it, uh, duh, I'm going to destroy your career. And then he says, who's that? <laughs> and everybody, of course, do you know what they said? They said, Donald Trump. Because everybody just says Donald Trump at every bad thing now, right? They, like, he's, the, he's, the, he's the repository for all of our bad feelings in, in, in society right now. They, they, so they screamed out, a few of them screamed out, Donald Trump. And he said, no, it's you. It's you. And the funny thing was is they laughed. And they laughed, laughed, and laughed even though he had just insulted them pretty badly. He had just insulted them. In Mark, Jesus uh, speaks in parables of the kingdom of God, right? Stories, little stories, little vignettes. And in chapters 1 through 3, he addresses three different groups of people. Firstly, he addresses the leaders who reject him and want to kill him. And then he addresses the crowds who uh, are enamored with him, but don't really, aren't, they're not really that committed to him, right? And then he addresses his disciples who are committed and following after him, as stupid as they get sometimes. They're still committed and following. And then in chapter 4, he tells the famous parable of the soils. You can thank Vinny for this sermon because I was going a totally different direction this week and he wrote me an email and I'm like, I'm going that way. So amen, Vinny. <laughs> Don't ever say that I'm not listening, right? But Mark chapter 4, verses 3, three through 8, it's very succinct. He, he says, listen, exclamation point, so it's kind of important. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell uh, uh, along a path, the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had, not, they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they, they did not bear, bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Now, do you think that after he finished asking them uh, or telling them this parable, did he say, who's that about? And do you think they answered Caesar, right? Maybe they did. And he would have said, no, it's you. And they would not have laughed because they would have gotten it. It's you. They are the soil in which the gospel seed has been cast, right? It's been thrown into it. And God will hold them responsible as to are they receptive or not? Are they receptive or not? The four soils correspond to these groups. The leaders signify the first soil, that hardened path, right? The crowds signify the second soil, which is this rocky 
place. And then also the third soil, the thorny and weed-infested place. And then finally, the disciples signify the fourth, the good fertile soil. And desire, what we see here is that desire translates to receptivity. Desire translates to receptivity. Jesus begins with that exclamation. And anytime somebody has an exclamation, they want you to listen, right? They want you to pay attention. And he says, listen, exclamation point. He urges them to hear or to listen all through this and all through the surrounding parables that he speaks of. And whenever Scripture sort of talks of hearing or listening, it's talking of receptivity, of me receiving this message, leading to obedience to the message, or in other words, making effort towards this kingdom life. It's the magnetic pull upwards towards Jesus, my desire and my effort, right? Hearing means a willingness to not only listen to truth, but then to make that effort to respond to it and to obey it. And what we see is that if life isn't transformed by the message, we've not really heard the message. If life isn't transformed by the message, then we haven't really heard the message. He's saying, are you listening? This parable is about you. So are you going to receive my words and be transformed, be changed? The, The whole chapter... The whole chapter there is about hearing, right? And not just that they hear the grammatical syntax, the the sentence structure and all that kind of stuff. We hear so many words all day long, don't we? I mean, I sat up, I couldn't sleep because of this thing I got last night. I sat up and watched YouTube videos. It's just so stupid, right? But just so many words, background noise, song lyrics, talk show hosts, you know, movies, radio, YouTube, like I did last night, in one ear and out the other. We're not really listening to much at all anymore. But here, right here, in the person of Jesus, God speaks That's pretty profound if you think about it. God speaks. King of heaven, king of earth, God incarnate who walked the earth and made his sacrifice for us. He's speaking. So we're talking about hearing in the sense of understanding the kingdom of God and committing ourselves 100% towards it. The last song you chose, which we didn't talk about, is what, what was it? Uh, You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours, right? That's what we're talking about. And we notice a progression in the three bad soils. You know, the plants die later and later in each instance, right? They last a little bit longer in each instance. And Jesus explains the meaning of this whole thing to his disciples in verses 13 through 20, which I'm not really going to read, but... The first soil really signifies this hard heart. I mean, it's, it, it's not like rocket science. It's pretty obvious. It's a hard heart where the seed is robbed by birds before it even takes root. Birds are usually a metaphor for spiritual things like spiritual, you know, beings that rob, rob something out of us, right? And this is something 
with whom that it's someone that, you know, like if you meet somebody and you can't talk to them or you can't even converse with them about Jesus or heart issues at all, uh, any of that sort, their, their arguments are rehearsed. They don't want to hear it. They're unreceptive. They may even be hostile. They may be closed and nothing can root in them at all. By the way, side note, I had a wonderful time Friday night sharing the gospel with a Muslim on my driveway. Amen. It was so much fun. And it was very open and very like he was just he and I just connected. And he, you know, I let him talk about what he believed. And he said, yeah, I, I loved, you know, worship. he was talked about worship. And I said, do you feel it right now? And he goes, what? <laughs> he was there to buy a motorcycle for me. And he said, do you, do you feel I said, do you feel it right now? And he goes, what? What are you talking about? I go, when you talk of worship, it's like when Moses was standing at the burning bush and God said, take off your sandals because where you're, where you're standing is holy ground. And he goes, oh, man, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> and we talked about this stuff. And I brought him up our, our memorization verses and I talked to you guys up and everything. But uh, that was a total side note. <laughs> you know, in parts of Galilee, um, there's a layer of limestone and, and shale just a few inches below the surface of the ground. And, and over top is this thin, thin layer of soil. And so in rainy weather, like in the spring or the fall, in rainy weather, it becomes briefly very fertile ground, right? But it's, it's very shallow. So in Jesus' second soil, you know, we have the seed that, that sprouts quickly, but the sun would come out right away and dry up all that moisture and the plant would die right away. Its roots unable to go down deep enough to nourish it, right? The shallow person. Someone who explodes with excitement, you know, about their faith, but they never really root themselves deeply in the scriptures. They never really root themselves into church life. They, 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 they can't grow deep roots in Jesus. They're easily distracted. They're taken away by um, by the first hardship, the first difficulty, right, or, or the next feel-good moment, right? Like, like Paul said to Timothy, maybe they're lovers of uh, pleasure instead of lovers of God. Now, if you struggle in those areas, you, the struggle signifies that you're thinking, that God's working, right? I'm not talking about the person that struggles and tries to walk with the Lord well, but gets drawn back to things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the person that really just doesn't care. They get all excited and then they're gone. We have lots of those people in Christianity. In the third soil, the seed roots and soil surrounded by weeds that are much stronger than itself, bigger, stronger. They have harder roots. They, they soak up all the moisture in the ground and they leave the plant nothing to live on, no nutrients. And it, it may last a little bit longer than the other two, but it still dies quickly. The person whose faith is choked out by worry of money and career and reputation and comfort and safety or what have you. There's plenty to worry about out there, right? That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, you cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't work. You can't do it. Or that worry and anxiety is a sign of a life centered on possessions and things and and comfort and security in Matthew chapter 6. Scripture has very strong words, extremely strong words, calling such affinities towards these things as idolatry. It's idolatry, right? Putting something other than God in God's rightful place in life. It is simply idolatry. 
And it has an effect on us. The root of a plant was an ancient symbol of stability and commitment, right? Plants in that area were uh, often threatened by heat and drought, still are, right? uh, These guys were talking the other day about how they were in uh, Israel and there was a day that was like 120 degrees or something like that. It's just hot. It gets hot or something, right? uh, Christy was saying that the water hose, like you couldn't even touch the water coming out of the water hose. It was like so hot, right? Um, But so these plants are often threatened by this, and and the root is that which guarantees the future, uh, the future existence of the whole plant, that thing that makes it last. And many plants have what, what they call desiccation tolerance, right? So they have very deep roots or, or they drop their leaves quickly or they die back and they kind of stay underground or very low in order to survive. And as a matter of fact, if you're hiking along the trail in California where it's really hot, you know, and, and you see some dried up uh, moss on a rock, if you pour water on it, within minutes it'll be green and vibrant again because it has that resilience, it has that sustainability, it's kind of strange. When asked to endure the persecution and the opposition similar to what Jesus endured and routinely suffered, right? Shallow sort of quasi-followers fall away. They're easily offended. They're easily tripped up. They're fragile. They're brittle. They have no staying power, really. they, They have not been fully receptive of the whole gospel. They've not taken it all in. And then you finally have the seed falling on good soil, right? Soil that is tilled over, it's tended, it's watered, and ready to receive seed. And the seed sprouts and spreads out a root system and produces a plant which bears fruit, you know, more and more fruit in a cyclical, seasonal way, just over and over again. It reproduces itself. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, right? Reproducing itself. And as a matter of fact, Jesus contrasts this threefold yield of fruit from this seed with the three bad soils from before. In the good soil, we have the person who hears and uh, being transformed, bearing fruit in obedience to Christ over and over and over again. Its fruit is both qualitative, as seen in the fruit uh, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. That's the list of the fruit of the spirits, right? And, uh, and it's also quantitative, Right? So it's, it's in that these kind of people share their faith. They're out there telling people about Jesus. They're drawing people into the kingdom as seen in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They know their calling and they are active in it. So as the seed's been cast, right, we're responsible to listen and obey. What kind of soil are we? Because in Christ, we are all sowers of the word. We are. That's part of our calling. We're called, along with the disciples, to proclaim Jesus to the world around us, to proclaim him. Now, I love that word, proclaim. I'm, as I'm go- getting older and preaching, you know, through life, I, proclamation is a very important word. I'm not here to argue you into the kingdom. I'm here to tell you this is the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. Jesus will save you if you commit yourself to him. It's proclamation. I'm not here to get in a big debate or argue with people. I am here to proclaim it. That's, that's my job. 
You know, we've, we've looked at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, in past weeks. Christians have, have agreed throughout history to make Jesus' last command our first concern, right? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded to the very ends of the age. And he's with us from now until the end as we do that. The complete gospel. With all the feel-good bits and pieces and all the challenging bits and pieces as well. Because it is challenging. It challenges our affinities. It challenges our convictions. It challenges our thoughts. And there's a temptation as a Christian to hold back on some of the truth that we're called to proclaim. Jesus didn't. He didn't hold back. He said to these teachers and to this crowd that were following him around, very clearly, he said to them, you have no roots. <laughs> you have no roots. You're going to die off. He was very clear. Tragic, but it needed to be said. And maybe some of them turned around because of that. Who knows? We aren't responsible, though, for another person's receptivity. We're only responsible to speak the whole truth in love. You don't have to be a jerk, but you have to do it. And we're called to do it. We're called to cast seed. We really are. And we can't, make, we can't make that seed take root. We can't force it to take root. And we can't present either a truncated gospel to make people feel more comfortable. And, and we, have to, we have to understand that God can defend himself. We're just called to proclaim it, Right? Our, so, in other words, our gospel must include hell as much as it includes heaven. The bad with the good of the gospel message. You never know which part of the gospel message that will preach to somebody's heart. You, don't, you never know that. We must give, it, give the whole thing to everybody. I came to Christ through Ecclesiastes, which is a pretty depressing book. But it spoke to me. We can't create an openness in people. We can't. But we can preach. We can preach. And God demands a complete surrender to the whole gospel. You know, repentance of sin hand in hand along with grace and salvation. The church has for a long time preached a lot of grace and salvation, but not a lot of repentance from sin. You can't have one without the other. He calls for a complete and absolute surrender and dependence on himself. So if I incise the difficult parts out of the gospel because I'm afraid of offending somebody's sensibilities, I may be cutting off their blessing. I might actually be cutting off their blessing because that might actually speak to them. Jesus never calls for a half-hearted commitment from anybody, none of us, and nobody out there. He doesn't allow for partial dedication to himself. He calls us to death and rebirth in him. So discipleship and commitment aren't optional. They are not optional to, in Christ, in the life of Christ. Shallow commitment has too often been accepted as the norm in Christian life. We want to be 
sort of a sensitive to the seekers that come into our church, for sure, definitely, right? But it does them no good for us to create only an atmosphere which allows for just shallow interest in Jesus without some sort of a demand to actually surrendering our lives to Jesus because that's the message. The crowds signify seekers in Jesus' ministry who, re, re, who remain just that. They're just seekers forever. That does them no good. Interest must translate to commitment, and there's no spiritual life to speak of without that. The crowds were enamored. They were amazed of, at Jesus' power, but they remain spiritually neutral. They're milk toast. There's nothing worse than that. And this turns, if you remember, this turns into rejection by them later as they distance themselves and they disassociate themselves from him at his trial and at his crucifixion. The task isn't to make seekers more comfortable, but to truly challenge people in a good way. Not to impress them with cute, feel-good stories or great intellect. Rather to give them the true Jesus with all the difficult truth that surrounds him. Because that's where people come to him. So what we find is that worldliness in the gospel is a very extreme danger. Extreme danger. That's why I don't do weddings for people that are sleeping together. I won't do it. Don't ask me to do your wedding if you're sleeping together. Don't ask me to do your wedding if you're, if you're living together. Th- that, that's only one simple example. It's a very easy example. There's lots of things that I won't do. I w- recently, I wouldn't let somebody uh, become a member because they were sexually active in some very deviant ways. I said, nope, can't become a member until you understand your sin and you repent of it. We have to, to draw those lines because this is the gospel and this is important. And that person's heart needs to know what they're getting into. They need to give their life to Jesus 100%. Worldliness is an extreme danger to the gospel. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? You're not laughing right now, are you? Just like the, just, uh, This is stuff that we really seriously need to think about, right? Friendship with the world means enmity with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You know, there are things that I want to do in life that I cannot do. And sometimes I do them because I'm sinful and I need to repent over and over again. I'm not talking about the struggle. I'm talking about the person that just lives a two lives right? Mark 4, 18 and 19 say, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the world, world making it, or the word making it unfruitful. So Jesus is very clear, right? We can't live one foot in, one foot out, you know, have your cake and eat it like, kind of a life too, and expect to have any part of himself These things we choose to desire in life, you know, replace Jesus. What's your desire is the question for you today. Are you metal or are you wood if Jesus is the magnet? 
Jesus' teaching and so much of the New Testament writings center on this argument of love for the world in contrast to the love of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life now is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Those are promises. I was talking to somebody the other day about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? Great verse. No temptation to seize you except for what is common to man, and God is faithful. He, when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I'm not sure if I got that totally right, but that's the essence of it. That's a helpful verse to memorize. Romans 12, 1 and 2 urges us, and you should know this verse, right? To urges us to fully sacrifice all that we are, bringing about a full sort of renewal to our lives and our hearts and our minds and the understanding of God's will so we can walk in it in this life. In Mark 8, 33, Jesus rebuked Peter and he said, you do not have in mind the, the concerns of God, but merely human con- concerns. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Where are you placing it? So we find that receptivity receptivity for the gospel is paramount to bearing kingdom fruit. It's paramount to bearing kingdom fruit. According to Jesus, according to his teaching in the parable, of the sower, receptivity is everything. This parable covers everybody on the earth. There's nobody that gets out from underneath it, right? And the question is, is the seed taking root in me and growing in me? By the way, that's a question for a pastor too. Am I really following Jesus? as I lead a church, because I could easily lead a church into ways that are not of God, easily. Have you guys all signing over your mortgages and you know, doing all kind of crazy stuff? <laughs> no, I don't think you would do that. You're smart people. But um, is it growing in me? Because some of us are hard-packed, the hard-packed road. We are, right? No matter what, We have simply decided we will not believe. We've simply decided we're not going to believe that. That's stupid. That's ancient, you know, hubbub. That's, That's stupid. That's old stuff. Maybe we're seekers. Maybe we have that rocky uh, or thorny soil. Maybe we're quasi-Christians who come occasionally, you know, or, or even regularly to hear the pastor and sing worship songs, and we think that we're really strong believers until difficulty arises, because it's coming. It is coming. Or the Scriptures challenge our sort of cultural bias in the use of money and identity and sexuality and safety and comfort or in loving our enemies. And commitment runs out in those moments. We really find out what we're made of. There's nothing more distasteful than being lukewarm. 
God says in Revelations 3.16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow, that's a scary verse. Jesus is looking for the fruitful soil. Full commitment. Only this last group produces kingdom fruit, which has eternal value to the world. Those who listen well, who hear the message, who receive it, are transformed by it, by it, and then all in all things they make effort towards it. In all things. Those who desire Jesus above all other things in life with an openness to truth and a desire to live it out. So what attracts your heart? What's your great desire in this world? Do you make... And what do you make an effort towards? What do you put your effort and your time into? Take stock of your life this week. Listen. Think on what you think on and how you spend your time. Because some of my thoughts are not worthy of Jesus. They're really not, right? What do you worry about? What do I worry about? For goodness sakes, what do I worry about? I've got nothing to worry about. Even in all this falls apart and I lose my house and everything else. What do I have to worry about? Nothing. What concerns you? Where do you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure? No one wants to waste time with a hard-packed road. No one wants a church full of half-hearted seekers more concerned with their comfort than with Jesus. We want seekers to come in, but we want them. That's why we always say, come as you are, but leave transformed. I want you transformed. We want fertile hearts, fertile hearts, rooted and fruitful in Jesus, which leads to a white-hot faith, a white-hot faith. And I've probably said enough. Now we're going to hear from somebody much brighter and happier than me. Kathleen Lebeds is going to come up and share our last lesson from uh, our, our uh, spiritual formation folks. But before you do that, can I just pray? Father, I thank you for this people. I thank you for your gospel. And I've prayed this prayer over a few people this week, and it continually comes up in me, Father, that you would put a steel rod in our back. Not that we would be jerks or anything like that, but that we would be able to see clearly that you would give us discernment and wisdom to see clearly as to where you are leading us and taking us in this world, both individually and corporately, Father God, that we would not be afraid, that we would not be uh, filled with guilt, that we would, we would be people that are convinced of this, convinced of you, who love you so much that it just pours out of us, just overflows out of us to the people around us. That in the middle of the night, when we're standing on the driveway with somebody that doesn't know you, we begin to just say it. That we have the opportunities to share your love and your life with people. Thank you, Lord. Amen.